Welcome to the Melanin Medics podcast. Join us as we delve deep into topical conversations, share real-life experiences, and celebrate notable achievements of current and future doctors of Afro-Caribbean heritage. Listen in as we amplify Black voices in medicine and surgery. This Black History Month edition proudly celebrates trailblazing Black doctors, and we ask them, why did you fall in love with medicine? Hi everyone, <coughs> today we'll be brought to you by myself, Tenny and Michaela. We are delighted to be interviewing Dr. Jude today. Um, Dr. Jude is a consultant trauma and orthopaedic surgeon in Southwest London with specialist interests in trauma and upper limb. He graduated from the University of Manchester with an elective at Yale. He then completed his foundation and orthopaedic surgical training program in London before moving to complete fellowship training in trauma and upper limb surgery at the University of Toronto in Canada, then at Geyser St. Thomas Hospital in London. He is a member of the British Orthopaedic Association and the American Academy of Orthopaedic Surgeons. He's a passionate teacher who enjoys speaking and writing within his field. And he is active on social media through Instagram and YouTube, where he aims to inspire, teach and motivate. Dr. Jude, thank you for taking part in our Black History Month podcast series. Is there anything else you wanted to add? (laughs) Wow, that was was amazing. (laughs) Nothing nothing else to add. Brilliant. Okay, so (laughs) we'll get you warmed up. No, 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 it's brilliant having you. (laughs) We'll get you warmed up with a bit of an intro question, which is who is your biggest mentor and why? My biggest mentor? Um, You know, mentorship is really important. And I I don't know if I experienced mentorship until quite late. Mm -hmm. Well, I'd say when I was a registrar, there was a consultant. He kind of took me under his wing and he was just really, really nice to me and taught me and went out of his way to ensure that I was capable and that I was learning. And then he is actually the reason why I went to Toronto because he did his fellowship many years ago in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And he wrote letters of recommendation for me. And... um, and you know, he put me in touch with a few people, and and the rest is history. And so, whenever I had questions, I'd, I'd uh, you know, I'd get in touch with him. And having that is so important because it makes you feel you feel confident in your learning. You know, you, it means so much when somebody uh, kind of ahead of you says that you know you're doing well. Keep going. Keep your head down. This yeah. Is kind of the direction. And so that yeah, that was that was a powerful moment in my training when I kind of met that. Although actually the truth is I met him when I was an SHO mm-hmm. and then I came back and then I was his registrar and yeah it was just the rest of history good friend now yeah that's lovely had had like a lot changed in your relationship between you at SHO level and you at reg level yeah do you know it's I think I was always a keen and passionate SHO and I think you could see that um, mm-hmm. and um, when I came back and I requested to work for him and be his registrar and I just think um two things about me and I do this everywhere I go first thing is I just wear my heart on my sleeve and I Mm. just try to be honest and hardworking. Mm. and um and I think that even if you're not necessarily the best or whatever as long as as people feel they can trust you they can depend on you and that you're hardworking. Mm -hmm. I think you people really value your involvement so I think that was the first thing and then the second thing is I really just like to enjoy my day you know, yeah, like to um, and he likes to play music and theatre, which is kind of probably where I got oh. that from. Actually, mm. he plays music and theatre. He absolutely like gives a real laugh. The staff absolutely love being around him, 
And so I think that when we worked together, just the energy was just just warm. I think that's the staff just enjoyed the day. Everybody enjoyed the day. Yeah. And um, yeah, and I think that was just a, I don't know what the word is, a connection, shall we say. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's lovely. I was literally just saying today, like I was in theatres and we had a playlist going and I was like, I think this is one of the things I'm really looking forward to when I become a surgeon. Yeah. Choosing yeah. <laughs> my playlist. Yeah. Honestly, like I mean, music. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, the thing is, I, and at that same hospital, so I used to um, do quite a lot of independent operating there by the end of it because I was quite a senior registrar. And um, the third staff knew so well, like they would have the playlist ready as soon as they knew it was my day. <laughs> I remember walking in a couple of times, they would have like the Afrobeats playlist nice. ready to go. <laughs> I said, walking is already set up and playing. Wow. Uh, That's good. Yeah, it's going to be a good day. I've never mm. even thought about that yet. <laughs> no, yeah, it's so I mean, when you become a consultant, you get to pick the music, right? So, and I, you know, you spend a lot of time listening to, you know, what everyone else wants. But when you're a consultant, and not obviously everyone gets to say, I'm not just mm. going to listen to Afrobeats all day uh, if people really hate it. But, you know, when you get the music, and also the other thing about really enjoying your day and enjoying your job is getting to be authentically you. you yeah. Know, getting to be yourself right mm-hmm. and there's no point in me going to work and pretending that i listen to taylor swift because mm-hmm. that's going to get me in my happy place in my comfort zone so that i can do the surgery right so if mm-hmm. i'm gonna if they're just gonna say what do you want to listen to i'm gonna tell them i want let's put on some let's put on some whiskey let's listen to burner boys and album for the morning. you know let's Shout listen to, to whiskey yeah I, I just, <laughs> let's listen to music that actually makes me happy that other people might enjoy as well mm-hmm. um, and so i think um yeah, a real turning point for me in terms of being happy at work was just when I, you just decided to be authentically you mm. and not hide mm. behind yeah. whatever. And we've actually touched on this before, where we've, um, in previous uh, podcasts, we've mentioned the term of code switching. Mm. And, yeah. and we actually realise that it's more common than you would think. But Absolutely. what we want to to for the listeners to take home is we need to get to a place where we don't have to code switch we can be authentically ourselves and still achieve and still be regarded highly amongst our professional peers um and that's just how we can hopefully change the work culture yeah so um really really good um so you also mentioned um that you had a mentor quite later on in your training Mm -hmm. so as a registrar um, who inspired you, obviously, to to continue and and flourish um, as a as an orthopedic surgeon? But what would you say? What part of your journey would you say affirmed your decision to actually enter into medicine in the very beginning? To actually go to medical school, actually from go into the, medicine, the start. Yeah, medical school. Um, you know, the thing is, I was you know I was born to typical hardworking Nigerian parents. <laughs> I was, I was the firstborn, and you know the Nigerian families always want to have a doctor, right, in the family. So they used to just speak it into the ether, even though it didn't. It kind of used to just wash over my head, like, oh, mm. you know, you know, one, my children are going to be doctors type thing. Even though mm. pa- I was born when my parents were students and didn't have much money at all, and then it probably came to about the age of sixteen when I realised I was really bright, like I, I had good grades, and I probably wasn't really applying myself until. Mm. I was probably about 16, even though I was still getting straight age. Yeah. Um, and so I remember a moment when I decided, you know, I actually kind of want to go to med school. And I went to mm-hmm. a very good school, so it wasn't that uncommon for people to go to medical school. But my teachers almost didn't take me seriously. I remember oh. this very clearly because I told my teacher I wanted to go to medical school and therefore 
I needed him to predict me an A. I remember my physics yeah. teacher, Mr. Williams, shout out to Mr. Williams. <laughs> he said to me, oh, Ozzy, you know what, you, he goes, with the work you're doing, you know, if you work hard, you can maybe bring it up to a B. And I remember telling him in the class, like, Mr. Williams, listen, with all due respect, I'm going to get an A. And, um, I, and, and the reason being is that before that, I hadn't made the decision to go to medical school. And I, yeah. the teachers had somehow talked me into applying to chemistry to mm. medical, for uni. And I had a really kind of, you know, down-to-earth discussion with my dad, thankfully, before I submitted the application. And he convinced me, he said, look, son, if you want to do medicine, why are you zigzagging? Why are you, why are you changing? Why are you doing chemistry? If that's what you want to do, just go for it. So I remember mm. then going back with his pep in my step, told Mr. Williams, look, so I'm going to get an A with respect. And mm. he said, okay. Mm. Um, he said, okay, I think he ended up predicting me an A. And of, oh. of course, with the conviction, I got an A in my A-level physics. Amazing. Um, <laughs> and, yeah. And then I proved the, the teachers wrong. He somehow convinced me to change the chemistry, but I had thankfully changed it back to medicine. Mm. And yeah, I got into I got into my top choice medical school straight from school, thankfully. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the rest is history. Mm. And was there a moment in your journey since actually choosing to enter into medical school where you felt that yeah, I want to do orthopedics? Was when there you... a moment that I decided I wanted to do orthopedics? Yeah. What, was there any point in your journey that made you think, yeah, this is this is for me? What made you decide on orthopedics? Well, it was first of all, I decided on surgery before orthopedics. But mm-hmm. the first two years of medical school, honestly, I didn't really enjoy it. I felt a little bit out of place. Okay. Yeah, it was hard work, but it was okay because if you're bright, you can pass things. And so I passed the first two years without too many problems. But, you know, I was a young man who was interested in football and sports. And I was just mm-hmm. so energetic and stuff. And... And so I just didn't necessarily find initially what I liked because I, I remember doing like some respiratory medicine and stuff and it just I just didn't really connect with any of the tutors and stuff. Yeah. And then I got made to do a plastic surgery rotation by the medical school, which was a was which was luck in the end because I, at the time I didn't know anything about surgery and I tried everything to get out of that rotation, and because somebody told me that the surgeons had to be in at seven a.m. Um, so, <laughs> but they refused to change it thankfully and so I met this guy Wayne Jaffe fantastic plastic surgeon and I don't know if he's you know I know he's still working but um, he's yeah. a great man and he really inspired me so I had to go and work with him as a third year medical student mm. and he kind of took me under his wing and he taught me like basics taught me how to stitch he taught me principles of plastic surgery he's the one who actually uh, wrote my letter of recommendation for my application to Yale. So I went to Yale and did the plastic wow. surgery elective. Um, and he just, yeah, he inspired me for that. I, before that, I was just a young, you know, 20-year-old kid from East London who yeah. liked football and was a bit bright but didn't really know what I wanted to do. And yeah. then I met him and I realised this is so cool. First of all, the surgery is cool. The science is cool. You're making such a huge difference to people's lives. Um and you know, and I never forget the impact yet of breast surgery. And I never, and I had no, like, I had no idea what breast surgery was. But I went to it, and then you're seeing women who have gone through perhaps the worst times in their life, right? Mm. Diagnosed with cancer, had their mastectomies, had their chemotherapy or radiotherapy, then had mm. their breast reconstruction, then they've had their tattoos and stuff. And then you see them at the end of it, and they were so grateful. And that mm. was when I realised that I wanted to be involved in something that made that much of an impact to people. And then, um, oh, so anyway, so I went to Yale and I did plastics and there is where they forced me to do orthopedics as part of the rotation. Mm. 
<laughs> and um, and that was probably their mistake because I ended up enjoying orthopedics more than plastics. <laughs> um, and then I came back to London. And I decided I wanted to do orthopedics, and then yeah. uh, I just kind of then chose all of my jobs to to line that up for me. Yeah, so it's the experience. So and and here you are now. We have to obviously say congratulations on your recent appointment as an orthopedic consultant. Um, Thank you. That's just such an amazing achievement because I, I, I'm probably not wrong to say that you were still the minority in oh, in yeah, in that sphere. Um, yeah, and to achieve a consultant post, I mean, it's excellent. So, so what what do you enjoy about your job? So many. Of um, yeah, I mean, I enjoy, <laughs> I enjoy everything <laughs> about it. I think, um, first of all, training is fun. I mean, you guys are you know going through it or going going to go through it at some point. But mm. if you find something that you enjoy doing, and I always say to people that ultimately, I think your personality will pick your specialty mm. because. The, the way you think, the your principles, your ethos, you you almost find a specialty naturally. And so for me, that was clearly orthopedics because I did maths and physics at A-level and clearly then material sciences and physics and um, the kind of engineering was something I was always interested in. But then to combine that with the human side, you know, combining the technical surgical aspects, but then we've been able to restore function so yeah. it's all orthopedic surgery is all about getting people back to doing the things they want to do getting using the latest tech we've got very cool tech right and it's very cool tech <laughs> very cool tech very cool <laughs> surgery very very cool things and it's constantly changing and lots of new innovations coming out every single day and then being able to apply that to people's lives and get people back to playing rugby back to playing football back in the army got lots of like military men getting mm. old patients you know out of pain um replacing joints getting them back living independently and you know it's when you have moments when people come in and you know it's like a devastating time for them because they've just you know you know broken their leg or something and they're about yeah. to get married in like a month or something and they're just devastated and you can offer them like i'm gonna be able to do your surgery get you fixed up hopefully get you back on your feet and get you to your to your wedding and then they come back you know a few months later after the wedding after the honeymoon ecstatic grateful got all the photos yeah. and stuff and you you were like a key moment of that person's history or their yeah. journey and so yeah. um so yeah so i just enjoy the, the the science but then also being able to impact people that's brilliant that's so beautiful um i'm sure like the more you've got a bit more independence as well that's probably been a bit more you probably got that reward a bit more as well definitely i think yeah. um, and a lot of people told me just stick with it and you know in the, when, in the junior stages when you're doing all of your night shifts and your exams and all of those expensive courses and you know you're writing publications and you've got really difficult interviews and recruitment processes sometimes you can lose the faith a little bit and you have to keep reminding yourself why you enjoy it and people always told me just just get through it because it will get better and it absolutely does because um you're going through a process right and the way i see it is people will trust you eventually with their lives um and their welfare and so yeah. this training i was i see it like a rite of passage we kind mm -hmm. of all have to go through it it's like this baptism of fire so that you can yield the scalpel and help people mm. um, so yeah it definitely gets better the more senior you become yeah so it sounds like at some point you're probably kind of I don't know like struggling with where you were and kind of where you wanted to be and I just kind of want to ask how did you get past that what yeah 
Uh, I don't really. I want to say struggling. Um, it's you know it's not an easy process to you know, getting through surgery and, and and training and all that stuff. But for me, there were probably two key principles, and I talk about this a lot. And for me, it's, it was everything. And so for me, the first thing is belief in yourself, mm-hmm. because especially being you know, a, a minority trainee, you don't often have people in your corner singing your praises. Yeah. yeah and, and you'll find a lot of times your your work will go unnoticed or um, it could be simple things in that people don't know how to present your name so they won't even try. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and so, <laughs> yeah, and so the things like that, you can sometimes beat your confidence, but you somehow have to find a way to believe in yourself and believe in your ability push yourself put yourself out there get involved in the discussion get your get involved in whatever's going on and 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 so you have to believe in yourself to be able to put yourself out and that's the first thing and I mean I could talk forever about this but you know I had times where and it happens all the time I'm sure you guys have experienced it it's not an even playing field then the the statistics and the numbers speak for itself and it's became and you every now and then you have reminders and it becomes very clear that it's not even but you can't let that um, get you down so that for me is the first thing um, and then the second thing is discipline you need discipline mm. because um, and it, it works both ways I don't think you can have an all or nothing mentality you can't be 100% work and you can't be 100% fun but you need discipline you need to be able to effectively divide your time and your efforts you need to be prepared ahead of time so when this comes to for example Michaela, you know, to get your ST3 job, you almost need to work maybe two, three, four years in yeah. advance, like backwards, mm-hmm. right? Okay, listen, and you'll see what the desired criteria is, but, you know, it's not enough to just do the, the essential criteria. You've got to do the desired criteria and then go beyond and spend a few years working hard and ticking off those boxes and mm-hmm. being disciplined. And so for me, that meant things like waking up early on Saturdays and I would I would have the first four, four or five hours of Saturday morning, that would just be the time I would do all of my like projects that'd be when I do my research tomorrow, but, and that'd be before everybody woke up and then so mm-hmm. by like one or two o'clock in the afternoon I've really done you know a few hours and then I can go out yeah um, I hope the listeners are taking notes right now <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think once you pick up these habits mm. it's discipline but um, mm. once you pick up these habits they they become just second nature there's a great book which I think everybody should read called The Power of Habit by Charles mm. Duhigg yes um, yes and 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 when habits become like ingrained in who you are, they're so difficult to unlearn, right? Yeah. And, and so, so if you get good habits, and so for, I think one good habit for me, thankfully, that I managed to pick up, and that was actually probably out of fear, was just reading. So I'm mm. always reading about about cases, even as a consultant, I'm still reading. I've got a case next week. I'll sit down and I'll and I'll read like everything. You know, what's the latest? What tech mm. is available? you know, um, you know what, what are other surgeons doing? And so it's just, I think, being disciplined in what you do. And then it, eventually it shows. I think people then start to gain confidence in you because you're always prepared. Yeah. Uh, anyway, okay. That's a bit of a yeah. But yeah, so those are my no, two no, key things. really good advice. It's really good. Yeah. And it, it, it sounds like, from what you've described, it sounds like as soon as you, like, had a flavour, a taste of surgery, that you kind of just went for it and put pretty much a rule in even though you said it's not all or nothing but I want to get an idea of whether there was any point during this since when you made that decision to go into surgery whether you thought it might not be for you at any point in time uh 
I mean, not me personally, because mm-hmm. I have thoroughly enjoyed enjoyed it. Um, mm. it. I remember the beginning, the very first year of training was challenging because I was you're making a quite a significant step up. Yeah, and I went to straight into ST three from CT two, which is really common now. But it wasn't that common before. People yeah. used to spend quite a lot of time as like a trauma fellow or the trauma mm-hmm. registrar, and then they'd do their years and they'd get their number. So I kind of yeah. went through quite quickly through the training program. So I was a lot younger than some of my peers, and perhaps maybe even had less experience at that stage. But I, I what I lacked for in age, I know I made up for in passion. Mm. Um, but some people don't necessarily always see that. So I remember just in the beginning having to work really hard to gain the confidence of my trainers, uh, to gain the confidence of like the consultants who are around. Um, and, you know, I just, I, I mean, it's, as I said, it's not even playing forward and I don't want to call anyone out, but, you know, I, I definitely felt as though I had, I was slightly under the microscope, shall we say. Yeah. You don't necessarily get afforded the same freedoms to make mistakes, make errors, slip up, and then go anonymous or unnoticed. Mm. And so that became quickly evident. So I just, I would say, I wouldn't say I had a, ever felt like it wasn't for me, but I definitely had times where I felt the pressure. And I said I had to employ those two key principles that I talked about, which was one, despite what people might think or say, you have to really believe in yourself, believe that yeah. you're capable. And then the other thing was, just be disciplined mm. um, and eventually you change people because I remember when um, I was at ST3 we used, to, we used to sit regional exams and I and we used to sit training exams like OITs and uh, what was the other one called UKITES and we also had a master's program that the whole region had to do mm. and I used to take it seriously a lot of trainees wouldn't necessarily take it seriously but I would take it seriously because I knew that we would all be ranked and yeah. the scores would go to the program directors. Mm-hmm. So that's what I meant by discipline. While everyone else was kind of chilling and not taking it seriously, I worked. And so I would pretty much always rank inside the top few. Yeah. And a couple of times, oh, actually, most of the time, top, I'd rank at the top, or at least on my year. And then um, nobody cared, really. But I knew that the program director would have mm. the results. Yeah. A couple of times. And one changing, actually, one pivotal moment was at the end of my first year when I did rank at the top of my year and a second in the region for an exam and the program director took me aside after really being quite hard with me yeah and said well done she said look well done it's been noted you upped your you upped mm. your game you stepped it up hard work well done it's you know it's mm. been noted and from that point on I felt as though you know I had a bit more respect for my for mm. my trainers mm. yeah gosh a lot of hard work and effort though um habits habits forming brilliant so now, now that you are a consultant, um, what is a typical day like in your life as an orthopedic surgeon? Typical day. Okay, so uh, at the moment I commute, which I don't mind. I quite like because I have about an hour to an hour and twenty minutes on the train. Yeah. Um, so I usually wake up about five forty-five, and then I'll leave my house by about six fifteen, mm-hmm. um, and that gives me an hour on the train to respond to emails to melamin and medics and to you know everybody else with lots of questions because emails just run the world now so there's usually 100 emails every day but i do that in the morning wow. and then um i've been usually in a trauma meeting for about 7 45 um we discuss all the trauma cases from the previous 24 hours and i do upper limb trauma and which is getting quite specialist so there's always some interesting cases and other consultants who just kind of want your opinion and stuff so 
Um, and then it then depends on what I'm doing. So if it's clinic, I'll be in the clinic seeing patients, perhaps patients yeah. we've operated on, patients who've come back from after surgery, just you know, see how they're getting on. Yeah. Patients who have problems have been referred by the GP and you know don't want to you know ask assessment and things. Mm. Uh, there's lots of trainees. So there's often lots of teaching in clinics. Um, and and then if I'm operating, it'll, it'll probably be straight to operating theatre. I do a lot of trauma, as I said. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do my trauma at one site and I do my elective operating at another site. So you can be all over the place. Um, but yeah, so so the, the clinical side is busy. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, as you, as you said in, in the beginning, I do a lot of other things as well. Mm-hmm. So I try to use my lunch break. So if I have an hour at lunch and I sometimes feel a bit antisocial because I, I carry my laptop with me and I'll go to the library at lunch rather than go anywhere else. Yeah. Um, and I, I'll just put my AirPods in, I'll go to the library and then that one hour over lunch is when I will keep again more emails, checks, you know, scans, try and do my admin if I can so that I don't necessarily have more admin to do after work. Yeah. Or I'm involved in lots of projects so that's the time I'll chase up projects. I'm doing a lot of writing. Mm. Yeah, filmmaking is a big hobby of mine as well. So oh, yeah. sometimes I'm liaising with regard to whatever projects I'm working on. Um, I'm trying to get into writing for, um, for a magazine. So we'll see. Mm. We'll see what's the space. Um, so so usually I'm working on my lunch break. Yeah. And then yeah, then back back to clinic. And then usually I'm home by seven o'clock. Mm. Okay. Six thirty between six and seven. So yeah, that's my day. That's a typical day, but all the days are different. So yeah. yeah. So I mean, it sounds like I mean, it's clear that you are very purposeful of your time, mm. and your strength is being not just resilient but very organised, which I think is partly the key to a successful surgical career. Um, and you've also amassed a huge following on social media. I think mm-hmm. we've got about twenty one. K at the moment or more on Instagram for instance um how do you how do you maintain a true work-life balance what would you advise your listeners um to have a better balance okay this is something that you all of us have to uh be proactive about because um I said before it's not all or all or nothing yeah but sometimes it is all right so sometimes mm. i'll have like an exam or a deadline or a project or a particular job that is just really difficult yeah it takes up all your time and yeah you go through it you know when you're studying for an exam literally from the second you wake up to the second you go to bed you're studying you're reading you're writing you're working you're just switched on all the time mm-hmm. but i just think that that you have to then take a moment out regularly to look after yourself and to mm-hmm. connect with the people who are important to you. I think it's not uncommon for surgeons to almost, to, it's less common now, but in a, previously to be isolated and mm-hmm. not necessarily have families or have broken families and stuff because they were so married to their careers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so for me, that what that means is if I have like a three or four month period where I'm working really hard, I would, I would take some time out and try and book a holiday spend some time with my kids yeah. and I, at the moment I have Wednesdays which is my day to take my daughter to school mm-hmm. and pick her up so and it's so easy for that. me to like, fill that time right because I'll often get asked oh can you do this case on Wednesday morning and it takes the power of God for me to say actually Wednesday morning is 
my time with my daughter because mm, my admin okay. session. So I take my mm. daughter to mm. school and then I do my admin. Um, so it's just kind of being proactive and, and prioritizing yeah. um, small moments that mean something to you. But mm. it is difficult, um, especially when you're junior and you just want it so bad. You want to succeed so badly. So, But you have to just find a way. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose this will help limit the risk of burnout as well which really is a thing whether you are a surgeon you know or a medic or a medical student um but was there any point and this would probably be quite um really really useful for our listeners was there any point where you felt like okay I'm struggling with this balance I think I'm burnt out um I mean, as I said, there are multiple times where you have almost like mini burnouts. I don't think you like crash and burn, but you have lots of times in your career where you're going to feel like, well, I'm kind of worn out here, like mm-hmm. juggling, working and studying and doing my research and just exhausted. In, those, in that time, what I try to do, as I said, is I just try and just um, take a break, always have something to look forward to. I like mm-hmm. to travel to so take a holiday, but I also have lots of hobbies. And it's very important to just maintain those hobbies because it's so easy to just yeah. lose them. So for most of my career, I played football on Saturdays with my mm. friends. Okay. Um, and so definitely the times where I wasn't studying or what didn't have other things I had to do. Saturday mornings, I'd try and play football with my friends yeah. until pretty recently. Um, I also like photography and, and filmmaking. And so that's kind of actually how the social media even started because I just used to go off and take pictures and make mini videos and things. Oh, wow, yeah. And um, and so that was just kind of my hobby, uh, just to, an excuse to travel, go somewhere else with my travel with my camera and just, just be free. And so I enjoyed that. Um, and actually, recently, I created a video about burnout on my YouTube channel because mm. um, I think it's something that is rife now because of obviously the pandemic yeah uh, we, we didn't we've all of us have kind of lost or well, not now because it's kind of it has improved but for a long time we didn't have that the normal outlets right you see yeah. working is switched on you have the anxiety of just being simply being in hospital during a major pandemic when everybody else had the benefit or pleasure of working from home and we didn't really have that um, and so you see retirement in the last year or so has um increased by like a third early retirement sorry mm. um staffing levels are just at all-time low and then this is also compounded by brexit so we've lost yeah i was gonna say you know, like european nurses and healthcare workers mm. and so hospital has just been a very stressful place to be and burnout has been incredible yeah um, and so for me personally i felt like at the, at the end or towards the end or maybe maybe in the middle of my second fellowship I was starting to get burned out and burned out not necessarily because I was working hard, which we were, and I very mm-hmm. barely got to take any breaks, but it was just the added stress. And you're going to, you, you have this in your career, you work for so many years. And then at the end of your fellowship, there's a global pandemic and you don't have any job. You don't have a job. I'm like, yeah. I'm trained. I've got international training. I've got all these degrees. I've done everything, but mm-hmm. I don't have a job in six months because mm-hmm. there's nobody hiring because everything is COVID. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, uh, you know, just people just said, just keep the faith. And so before the end of my fellowship, I managed to get a fantastic job in South West London as it started, as applications started coming out and stuff. And yeah. um, uh, I managed to get a very competitive job, which just worked out perfectly. What a blessing. Yeah. Can I ask a quick question? Because um, sure. a lot of senior registrars, when they're nearing 
CCT and they start looking at the hospitals and who's retiring, who's about to leave. Um, did you know of this job before it no. came out or was it just... No, so, I mean, How you're going to come up to this, right? So people, I think people assume that maybe when you come to the end, you know that there's going to be a job for you. And weirdly, that doesn't happen. And to be honest, right, I worked really hard in my rotation and I assumed mm -hmm. that I would probably end up somewhere that I trained because most people do and a couple of places I trained uh, you know, before I went off to Canada a couple of the consultants came over to me like oh, make sure you keep in touch you know have a great time in Canada let us know when you're back we're trying to okay. something out so you can come and join so I had one hospital and then another hospital I worked at exact same thing so it was like, Make sure you keep in touch. Uh, we'd love to have you back. We'll sort something out. Even while I was in Canada, I was getting text mm. messages. But like, when mm. you're coming back, okay, we'll try to line something up for roughly when you come back. So, you know, they, they, there are people who um, are have goodwill, but they, it's really difficult to make all of that align. And so this job literally was just an email notification from NHS Jobs, right? And usually when you see that, it often means that maybe that job is already accounted for because mm. I didn't know anything right yeah. unfortunately that's kind of how it works but um I applied and thankfully I got shortlisted um and then I just did all the right things you know I just um you have to introduce yourself to the panel once you you know you're invited it was COVID so I couldn't do even face-to-face -face meet so we did so we did the few Zoom calls speak with the yeah. you know medical director on the phone try and get some info about the hospital introduce yourself and you have like um this whole consultant process is very strange but you, you basically it isn't like just a single interview on the day you have to kind of touch base with these lots of different people and Aww. almost sell yourself right and then i had a zoom interview which is also bizarre because like the mm. biggest interview of your life you're doing in your kitchen um, <laughs> you have to lock the kids away <laughs> Yeah, no, I made sure they were all out. Everybody had to be out. Uh, I was sat at my dining table doing this interview. And, uh, yeah, and it went really well. And, um, mm. yeah, then they, they called me and said, look. And actually, interestingly, um, I didn't necessarily get that job that I interviewed for. It's a long mm. story. Mm. But, um, anyway, I'll talk about this another time. You can cut it better because I don't really want to, I don't want to put people on, on that. <sighs> but, uh they were really nice to me and really yeah. helped me and made yeah. it happen basically yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, that's really good I mean the theme from our discussion I've even got even from what you've just said is just brilliant mm. um but yeah. what was what would you say was your proudest achievement my proudest achievement oh man oh, my proudest achievement it's a difficult one because I, I'm, I'm proud of my career mm-hmm as a whole, because I, as I said, I wear my heart on my sleeve. Right? Mm -hmm. I just said, look, I want to do orthopedics. I want to enjoy training. And I always said, like you said, brilliant, shall we say. I always knew that I didn't want to be average. Yeah. You know, I wanted to be, the, I, I wanted to go where the best are. The only reason mm -hmm. I went to Yale because I wanted the experience of studying at an Ivy League school. It was that mm -hmm. simple. I was like, right, mm -hmm. I want to just go and see what the Ivy League is like. And so I went to Yale and then, I came and even when I came back to from Yale, I was so inspired. I literally typed into Google, "Where is the best place to train for orthopedics?" Because I didn't mm. know. Right? And you can ask people, but I don't know. I just Google it. Okay, and so a few hospitals come up, and guys in St Thomas's just randomly, rightly or wrongly, I don't know, comes up as like one of the best hospitals in the country. 
yeah. obviously treated Boris Johnson or whatever, so Boomer. So I applied to Gladys and Thomas's. <laughs> That's where I did my F1. I got my F1 job there, and then I pretty much did my F1 to ST8 pretty much uh, at Gladys and Thomas's and King's College in like the southeast London. Mm, and yeah. so I think I think I'm proud, perhaps, just of being able to just go after what I want and then and, and getting it. Mm. Even same going to University of Toronto, I had a fantastic time. Made some. That's probably my proudest thing actually, being able to go abroad as a nobody um, who people just think you're this weird British guy um, and then just making a real success of it. I had a great time, made some fantastic friends, colleagues. So, yeah. Yeah. I wish the listeners could see our faces right now. We are smiling from <laughs> ear to ear because we are so proud of you. And now you're going to see a lot of blushing. Honestly, oh, it's such a pleasure <laughs> to see you. Um, but I wonder, so is there anything that you would do differently? It sounds like you've done everything more or less textbook and you are a role model, okay, to those who want to do orthopedic surgery. But is there anything that you would have done a little bit differently in your medical journey or surgical um, journey? I think there's nothing I would necessarily do differently in my career. Mm. But I think what I would do maybe, I don't know, actually. I think I would just, I would try to enjoy myself a little bit more in the early mm. years. Okay. But you, but you learn to do that eventually. I think that is like you know when I was an SHO, just you're so full of passion and hunger and desire. Yep. You know, I said that was you're fully switched on. Yeah. And you know, there's times where you know people invited to things. I missed so many things because I had an interview or an exam or something. Yeah. And I don't think necessarily, and eventually you learn balance because even when I was studying for my FRCS, if somebody invited me to a birthday party, that just means, okay, I wake up early, study in the morning, and in the mm. afternoon, and I go to the party in the evening yeah. and see my friends in the evening. But in the early years, you, you just like so focused that you struggle to find that balance. So the only thing I would probably do differently is just try to enjoy the early part of the journey a bit mm. more. Okay. Mm. okay. Um, I guess along those lines then, if you could give any advice to your younger self, um, knowing everything, all the knowledge you've accumulated now, what would that bit of advice be? If I could give myself advice, um, I would say, okay, I would say two things. Mm-hmm. Um, number one, buy shares in Google and Amazon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and Apple. Um, because, uh, you know, you definitely don't do this for money because the money is not great. Um, mm. But, um, and I think it's important to know that because um, especially in the, the current generation of, um, I don't know what the word is, Gen Zs. Mm. Um, and for that reason, I think surgery has almost lost its shine because of the amount of time and effort you have to put in. Mm. So it's quite expensive. And like jokes yeah. aside, yeah, it's expensive. So I think the f- perhaps what I would tell myself, or teach, or tell myself is just to be a little bit more switched on financially mm-hmm. with money yeah. uh, from an earlier stage mm. with investing and stuff like that. Um, and then the other thing, as exactly as I've said before, um, is just to believe in yourself, identify what you want and go for it. And I think we didn't, we, we kind of briefly touched on this, but I've realised late how important mentorship is. 
So perhaps yeah. getting mentors, mentors early, identify people who are doing what you want to do or might, what you might want to do and touch base with them. It's so much easier now because of social media. Just get in touch with people, see if yeah. you can. And it's, 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 a, it's a bigger thing in America, I think, in North America. They, I forget what they call them, but, um, you know, you can just fire somebody an email who's local to you and say, do you mind if I can join you for a coffee at any point in a day, in a week, you have 30, you know, 30 minutes spare? Yeah, um, and you just you, know, you come and say, and then like if a student said to me, "Oh, doc, I listen, I really want to be an orthopedic surgeon. Can I come have coffee with you?" Actually, absolutely, come have coffee, pick my brain, and spend so nice. thirty minutes, twenty mm. minutes. Let's talk about where you're up to and what you want to do. So, what I would say is, is um, pick what you want to do, go for it, seek out mentors, and then just then just do the work. Yeah, your DMs might be full after this. You literally just put yourself out there. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I think some will come to you for some financial advice too. Where should they invest, no Dr. Jude? <laughs> yeah, no I do talk a little bit about this for junior doctors. I think it's important, actually. Yeah, yeah it is. Said, we could talk about this later, but yeah. yeah, it's an expensive career, and so you have mm-hmm. to do things like you know, hope to save your money, try and buy property as soon as you can, that kind of stuff. You know. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, we've covered a lot um, in this in this podcast um, episode yeah. today. Thank you for all the gems that you have revealed to us and um, I know it's going to help the no listeners problem. immensely. Um, but looking forward, so orthopedics in 3021, what do you think it's going to look like? This is a really hard question. You've, been, you've done so well. We're going to challenge wow. a specific date. <laughs> Wow. Okay. So thirty twenty one thousand years. Or something. Um, I think the future of orthopedics isn't going to be in the mechanics. I think that one day we'll look back and think that we were barbarians by mm. placing metal into people. So I think the future of orthopedics is going to probably be in biologics. Mm-hmm. So regeneration of tissues. We'll mm. see. I don't know if it, 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 it might still be too soon, but you know, if we can use stem cells to grow cartilage, um and treat you know arthritis and tendinopathy that way mm. so, yeah, i think the future world is going to probably be more in the biologics that's my view so lastly because this is a black history month edition mm-hmm. let's oh, yeah. close with this question um let's do positive and negative so are there any or have you seen any positive progress for black people in medicine today that may have been different to when you first started absolutely i have yeah i think the biggest thing for me is um that when i luckily i was i benefited because i was on the right side of this change but um around about 2012 they made recruitment into surgical training objective Mm. Um, and by that what i meant is they created a national recruitment process Mm. in which everybody was asked the same set of questions and scored by the exact same criteria. Mm, yes. So we all had to go, I think, up to Leeds to interview. Yes. Mm-hmm. And prior to that year, I knew several really hardworking, talented black surgeons who didn't manage to get onto a training program mm, and yeah. therefore were stuck at the like associate specialist or registrar mm. grade and never quite yeah. made it. And I, and I know some fantastic surgeons who ended up going other countries or gone to various places in 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 africa 
back to home or wherever. Because I know that one surgeon in particular, he was, he was, I, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call him a mentor, but he was senior to me and he gave me a lot of advice. And he was mm. an imperial graduate and he was so intelligent and he didn't manage to get a number mm. because at that time it was subjective. Mm. Um, and so when they made that change, um, I and a number of other energetic and enthusiastic black trainees managed to score highly rank yeah. highly and get jobs because of that objective recruitment process mm. so definitely i think in the coming years you're going to see more black consultants uh, black leaders within healthcare because of that simple change yeah. mm. wow good to finish on this note <laughs> yeah <laughs> thank you um no but honestly thank you so much dr jude for taking the time to um to describe your journey mm. in medicine and your progress and your success in the orthopedic specialty. Um, and thank you for showing us, you know, telling us how you fell in love with medicine. And um, we hope that you have enjoyed this discussion as much as we have. Um, and is there anything else you'd like to add to the lesson? Uh, no, I just want to say thank you for having me. It was, um, it was really fun. I enjoyed speaking to you. And uh, hopefully we touched somebody, hopefully we inspired somebody to come yes. and join the world of surgery. Uh, or medicine, uh, or just to feel uh, capable and mm. able, despite maybe what things around them might be telling them. Yeah, no, that was beautiful. Thank you so much for your time. No problem, my pleasure. Yeah. So for now, it's uh, goodbye from me, Michaela. From me, Tenny. And me, Dr. Jude. <laughs> <laughs>